Welcome to Subscriptions for Authors Fireside Chat. This is our June edition. It's all about the subscription mindset. And before we really talk about the subscription mindset and everything we're doing today, I want to highlight that we've done a lot of these. We've done eight of them so far. And these happen every single month. So you can actually sign up to attend future months. These are free, open to the public, open to everyone here. Great to have you all here. And next month, we'll actually be having a guest. We'll be I'll, I'll leave you on suspense there. We'll be having guests next month. But for all of these so far that we can see, we've done one on tier rewards. We've done a fireside chat on getting started with your subscription, on tools that you could use for your subscription, different software, different ways of thinking about how you can make your subscription business run better. We've done one on pricing, one on serial fiction with Alana Albertson, and Amelia Rose, both of whom have, I think, collectively gotten like over 100 million reads on serial fiction platforms. We've done one on the creator economy. All, subscription marketing with the author of the subscription marketing book. All this is to say that if you haven't yet checked out our library of fireside chats, uh, you probably should do that. That, that could be a good weekend event for you. They're all up on YouTube at the link in the chat. Um, Subscriptionsrothers.com slash fireside.chats. So um, I... I think Amelia could put that in the chat, but before we officially get in to the mindset, I also want to introduce me and Amelia because some of y'all might be familiar with us, some of you might not. If you're familiar with us, sorry, the next minute will be a review, but brief introduction is we have been running Scriptions for Others Facebook group and podcast for over a year now, and myself, I've published 12 science fiction novels as an indie author, done some YouTube, live streaming. I'm currently going into my senior year of college. And we also are both co-founders in the description platform, Reen, which is a fun time. And I'll hand it over to Amelia to introduce herself. Oh, um, I'm Amelia. I write steamy romance. Uh, I love everything about the genre, um, but I've been doing subscriptions for my entire uh, career. And I'm currently full-time writing so that is me she's our subscription uh we, we have different words for it leader uh i don't even know what it's called some, some, <laughs> we, we've had subscription captain either way uh <laughs> something something she's she's our um are really the person who inspired all of this uh seeing her tremendous success in subscriptions and you know we've talked as you saw from all of our prior fireside chats we've really shared a lot of the tactical things behind doing this, the pricing, the rewards. But the most important thing about subscriptions is the mindset. And I think what you'll learn by the end of today is that this mindset isn't just about subscriptions. Because subscriptions for authors, this is a revenue stream, right? Subscriptions in itself is a way that you can make money from your stories. And as you all have probably learned who are here, many of you already know this, there's a lot of different ways you can make money with subscriptions. But ultimately, it's about this recurring payment. We'll talk more about that. But the mindset of subscriptions is something that impacts your entire publishing business. And the big thing to know here is that this industry is, is changing. And I'm going to talk more about this in the very end. I'll preview something that I've been working on, thinking about the sovereign author mindset. And I'll talk about who that's been inspired by as well. But the platform age where we all were on, you know, subserving it to, let's say, Amazon and other retailers, that kind of age has apexed. And we're now entering an age where I would say, as authors, we could become truly independent. And subscriptions are a core piece of that. 
If not the business model, the mindset. Another thing is long-term sustainability and era burnout. I've faced burnout myself. I'll talk briefly about that here. And it's been a, yeah, I think many of y'all listening probably have faced similar problems. And the subscription mindset is really focused on your next 10 years rather than your next 10 days of being a writer. And then ultimately, there's a shift in how people are reading and a shift in the place that reading holds in our lives. And we have an opportunity to win and hopefully grow our careers more by putting readers first. That's all part of the description mindset. So that's what we're going to get into today. And like I said, this is going to be a conversation. So if you've come in in the last few minutes, just know that this will be something in which we ask you questions. We want to learn from you how you think about subscriptions so that we can help you together. But before we officially get to the interactive part, I want me and Amelia both to share what comes to our minds when we see this, the algorithm mindset. Because I just know, like, I was going to put a bunch of different graphics here of like, you know, hack the algorithm, beat the algorithm, right? And I just felt like these three words did it justice because I, I feel these words. I used to like obsess over like the algorithm, whatever that means. I don't know if anyone knows what it means, but that's what I would do. I would try and figure out how can I get my ranking higher? And what's really interesting about a sales ranking on a platform, no matter what platform it is, is that you can only keep your spot in the store if you keep getting new sales, right? It's always based off of more, more, and more. And there's nothing wrong with that. We need to find new readers. And we also need the platforms in many ways. You can't and shouldn't just abandon all the platforms. But at the same time, nowhere in that are we optimizing for or even really thinking about our current existing readers, the people who really keep our business alive when we're still focused on keeping our sales ranking up. Because once a reader's bought our book once, they can't go buy that book again to keep it high up in the sales ranking. Well, super fans will find a way to do that. But even then, like they're going to create a new Amazon account just to like buy your book a second time. There. So algorithm mindset. But I'm curious for you, Amelia, because you didn't start a subscription like on day one, like on day one, you were writing on Wattpad and you started a subscription early in your career before you published, you know, officially an ebook on a retailer. But when you hear the algorithm mindset, because in many ways, the subscription mindset goes against what we're taught as authors. What do you, what do you feel about that? Do you, would you say that you have the algorithm mindset at points? Where, where do you fall? Um, no, not really. Honestly, like when I think of algorithm mindset, I think I, it just stresses me out. One, two, I think of Amazon um, because that's I, I feel like the mindset a lot of people are in when publishing their books. They're like really focused on launching with a lot of pre-orders or a lot of orders on launch day. And for me, I don't even like <laughs> this is really bad. I don't really like focus on my launches as much as I probably should just because like I, I don't care as much about my sales on Amazon as I do compared to having my readers in my community and enjoying my work before it's even released on Amazon. So for me, I do fall into this mindset sometimes. I think it's very easy to fall into the mindset when everyone's posting their rankings and posting um, their how 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 many views they just got on TikTok, which is great, but it's it's very easy to fall into that mindset and that loop. And yeah, I try I try not to though. Yeah, it's it's hard. You know, I have a, a close friend who runs this group called Creator Camp, which is 
a group of people who are mainly on like TikTok, especially YouTube, and they're all storytellers and they work with brands. And uh, a lot of times in YouTube, the biggest revenue stream for YouTubers who are storytellers just like we are um, is brand advertising, people who are sponsoring their videos. It, it makes up for a lot of YouTubers, 70% of their revenue. So that's a lot. And they have to integrate these ads into the videos. And so many times working with these brands, like it's not just like a mindset that we have as creators. It's like our whole like economy, our whole society is kind of really determined, almost sickly determined to like focus on the short-term metrics, focused on the short-term sales. And a lot of times that can be at odds with what these creators kind of want to produce and what's good for their own audience and maybe that brand in the long term. So this is something that if we kind of zoom out for a second, that we probably face in many more areas of our lives than just publishing. And I think that what's great about the subscription mindset, oh, next slide, there we go. <laughs> I was like pressing it. So subscriptions, this is not just about like subscriptions. And I know like this is, this is for everyone listening, this is a little bit less of a practical session. The other fireside chats we've done are super practical. And that's why we, in the beginning, gave you those other links. We're talking about the big picture here. And the big picture is that subscriptions are about way more than subscriptions. This mindset is thinking holistically about your life, period. And your life, I mean, this, I'm putting your life into six bubbles. That is that is reductionist. So I'm, I'm already recognizing that this graph can't really do your life justice, but thinking about it, like when you make a publishing decision, when you make a decision for anything you're doing in your writing career, are you considering all areas of your life like truly, holistically, are you really taking the time to be like, okay, like my readers do matter a lot. Your readers do matter. And we all want to do things that serve other people and other people outside of just our loved ones. That's a need that I know I have. And I think all of you listening would share that, but your loved ones matter too. So you don't want to necessarily sacrifice your entire life for your readers. You know, that would be that wouldn't be so great, right? And then likewise, your process and craft matters too. Like outside of your readers, like we all started writing before we had any readers because you had to write to have a reader. So we all started at nothing. <laughs> at one point, we all had nothing. And many of you listening maybe haven't even picked up your pen yet, which is more, that's beautiful. You have to start somewhere. So your craft matters too. Your wellness matters. You know, your security matters as well, which your security, we're thinking about this in, many different contexts could be your financial security, right? Are you making enough money, not just from books, but like overall in your life, you don't want to have any one area kind of drive you down where you're not able to be secure. You deserve to have security. You also deserve to have security in terms of thinking about your publishing business, where you're making money. Like tomorrow, could the rug get pulled out from underneath you per se? And you know, what would happen if, you know, X company shut down, would you still be able to be okay? Do you, do you have a direct access to your readers? You have an asset where let's say, God forbid something happens where you are in a health position where you actually aren't able to work for the next year. You know, that would be a really terrible situation. I hope it doesn't happen to you, but would you be able to have someone come in and be able to actually step up and be able to run that business? Or would your business still be generating revenue where you could get through that situation. There's been authors in the Facebook group who are literally in that position right now. And I know them personally. And, you know, subscriptions can actually be something all around that really helps you, this whole mindset and approach to your, to your life. So there's a lot to it. And I want to now throw it to Amelia, talk about just the core of what subscriptions are 
because we've been talking about it a lot, but let's actually define it before we go any further. Yeah, so um, we've chatted a lot about this before, but just to kind of um, define it here. So subscriptions are recurring payments directly from a reader to an author for content um, or any, any um, item or agreed upon value that you can give your readers. So this can be... Um, like ebooks, early access, maybe you have physical goods, book boxes, audio, anything um, you can think of. This can be monthly, annually, or like per chapter on that kind of basis. Or readers can just pay to support you, kind of like a tip jar, uh, which is really cool. Some authors, I mean, some readers really love doing that, and I can't wrap my head around it, but readers love um, supporting authors, especially if they're your super fans. Um, but also kind of the core of this is if you're running a business where you're releasing books constantly, or maybe you're releasing books once every two years or so, your readers are already subscribing to you. Um, they have to subscribe to you in order for you to continue um, to grow your business and to yeah, just like there, you already have them kind of in that mindset of I need to buy the next book. If you're if you have a series, uh, maybe you leave off on, on a cliffhanger and they need to read the next book. And so they're subscribed to you as um, the author, maybe not monthly, maybe not annually. But whenever you release that book, you kind of have to have them there to support you and read it. Um, so, yeah, it works we're kind of already in that model, but it hasn't really been defined um, completely yet. Yeah, no, it's it's like, what's interesting is we know at our core that membership is what not only publishing's about, but like, like everything, like everything is about membership. Like if you didn't feel any belonging to the brands that you continually support, to the communities that you are part of, then really nothing would continue to exist. Like it would all be a race to the bottom. This is in any, everything. And there's an interesting book I read recently, by recently, I mean this week, uh, called Retention Point. And it's an awesome, awesome book. It's short as well. Like when I say short, like a two hour read max. And yes, I guess I'm recommending this book to everyone now. Um, so Retention Point is the name of the book. And I, I just thinking on this slide, it made me want to share some of the insights that I was reading it and just being like, wow, like this is solidifying things to me. And he used this really interesting word, whereas we all become membership marketers. And you all here can relate to this as subscriptions for authors. Like you are, you begin marketing your membership, but he says, that's not actually the way to think about it because in reality, the most successful memberships is people becoming member leaders and taking a totally different approach to how you even think about your business. And being a member leader means that what really keeps someone around isn't like just endless, endless value, endless, endless stories. It is a sense of belonging, a shared purpose and identity that they get in what you're doing. And that is something that, and there's this really great quote in the book. I'm sorry, I'm totally like getting off topic, but I love the book so much. He had this quote, it's going to stick with me. Value is like water. And he didn't write this just for authors, by the way. He wrote this for like any person who has a membership, but there's so much that's applicable to authors. Value is like water. If you have too much of it, 
you drown. And if you have too little of it, you know, that's not good either. What does that mean? Very rarely does doubling your output lead to doubling the number of subscribers you have in your membership. That's a very different mindset from maybe the KU mindset or the algorithm mindset, right? Where actually, you know, doubling your output might literally be what leads to double the revenue because you also get paid per page, right? So on a literal basis, that is kind of true. Um, but that's not true about membership. And that actually doubling your output could drown your fans where they actually can't keep up with it. So that's one like really important thing to remember that the subscription mindset divorces, I'm gonna get into the full thing now. Divorces, <laughs> we have a lot of terms. Divorces quantity from actual value, like money that you make. But okay, we're gonna throw a lot at you right now. And just bear with me for the next like five minutes. And then we're going to like open it up and have a conversation pretty early on. I have an hour to basically talk. And the, the, the big thing here is that we, we could tell you the mindset to be a subscription author, but this is not a religion. We don't have a Bible for a subscription author. This is, this is life. And you can take or leave these things for what works for you in your business. And there might be some things that you want to take, but are struggling to really adopt and struggling to really feel. That's what we want to really get into. What are parts of this mindset that you are like, I would love to do this, but I have this blocker. I have this thing that's holding me back from really being able to adopt this belief. We want to get into that. But first, let's just share some of the tenets of the subscription author mindset. There's not a single person in this world, myself included and Amelia included, who follows this to a T always or ever. So just remember that as we say these things. But hopefully like when you... It's like late at night and you're maybe thinking about the next decision to make in your publishing business. You're feeling worried about the launch that you have tomorrow. We can start to think about these things. Remember, oh, that's right. Under promise and over deliver. That's a huge thing in subscriptions. Why is this? It's because in subscriptions, if we want to get someone to stick with us for a long time, then the sale doesn't begin when you actually make the sale. That doesn't make any sense. But it's true. The sale begins after you've actually completed the transaction. After someone signs up is when you begin the quote unquote sale of, please, I want you to stay here. I want this to be something that you love. And that's a moment that ultimately for authors might start to happen before they actually pay in terms of the actually selling them on it. But the second they open your book, the second they interact with you online, you're trying to get them to want to continue rather than thinking about it as I have to sell them before they come in. So that's all about under-promising over-delivering, right? Because if you make all these huge promises and then they come inside and you're like, this was like, this is a wasteland. This isn't what I expected. Then you're going to turn someone off. Whereas if you under-promise and over-deliver, you're going to get someone to consistently stay there. Another one's readers first. We say that one a lot, but the, the actual mindset here is like, get out of your own head when you're marketing. Get out of your own head when you're out in the business side of publishing. I think we all do this when we're creating stories. So I'm not too worried about you there because we are readers and storytellers and creating these worlds for our readers. But when we actually think about our marketing, too often I see an author create a newsletter with their goal in mind. I created this newsletter to sell my book. That's great. Your reader doesn't want to ever be sold. No one likes being sold. So how do you put yourself into the mind of your reader and think, what is clicking on this email going to do for them? And, and yes, for your core super fans, it's going to like, they're there for you. They just want your next book. But thinking only about your existing core super fans 
especially if you don't have any yet, it's not a way to grow your business, right? I mean, like you have to think about how can I get people there? And you do want to put your readers first in that. Another one's price for profit. Amelia, what did Joe say this morning? No, I don't know. He he gave us a bunch of tidbits. So I don't know which one you're referring to. It was about pricing. Do you remember it? Joe was incredible. Um. Oh. Oh yeah, yeah. Sorry. I, this is the one. So we were talking to um Joe Palusi. I think that's how you say his last name. Sorry, Joe. Um, and he was saying that you should price at a point that makes you feel uncomfortable. And I, I was just so like my jaw like dropped when he said that. And I was like, that's exactly what you should do because it, it's so hard to like a, as a creator, as a storyteller, it's so hard to find a good price for your work where you think like people would join and read your work or your chapters weekly or monthly or however often you release them. And they might be first drafts. You might not think they're good enough, but the reader who you want to be in your subscription for for the most part is going to value your work at a price that you might think is uncomfortable, but they don't think it's uncomfortable because they want to support you. Um, And so that was just, I, I love that point from him this morning. And we have a podcast that's going to be coming out with him and you'll be able to hear it all over again. So Joe, Joe's brilliant. It was one of, I think, our definitely better podcasts, but I love to say our podcasts keep getting better. I'm saying this not because like we're the ones responsible for it. It's the great guest, but um, it's a really good one. But another one is thinking about subscriptions as your reader amusement park. It's a way that your readers can become more immersed in your worlds. So when thinking about your benefits, when thinking about what this is for your readers, I know so many times we struggle to understand, like, why would someone want to be a part of this? But like, I, I understand, like, we're going to talk about that. I, this sounds really negative, but like, I know we think that, like, I know you think that. Why would someone want to join this? But that that's a real thing. Like, if you're not going to ever... of the content we consume doesn't end up in a literal theme park, right? But how do you get more immersed in the worlds that you want to enjoy? Like this is, subscriptions are part of that. Consistency is key. It's a huge one. Consistency is key. That's that's really big. Joe was mentioning this morning that he's, he's a fiction author as well as a content marketer and has done a lot of cool things, as Amelia mentioned, but he's been consistent with his newsletter for his 10,000 readers for 113 straight editions every other week, 113 times every other week. Again, he's not doing it every day. <laughs> every day is hard, but he's doing it every other week, a thousand words. He's sticking to it. Trust is the currency subscriptions. That's another big one. A lot of times I think we, with subscriptions, are caught up in a more advertising mindset of how can we you know, sell someone on this, convince them that they need this now, impulse purchase it, whatever it is, and then kind of move on to the next reader. And ultimately, just thinking about it from yourself, would you just randomly sign up to someone's $5 a month subscription, $10 a month subscription, $50 a month subscription, just if you get randomly? Low chance, honestly, if you didn't know them. Yeah, I mean, I've done it before, but I haven't stayed with it because I was, uh, I was like, I want to support this person because they have really cool artwork. Um, even though they don't update that often, but after a while I popped out of it. Um, so yeah. And then another one is less is more. You know, I talked about this with value and value being like water, but this is like, this is so true. Like you don't, you don't need to think about it this way. Your subscription, like 
if you, it sounds nice to like say, build it and then they will come. But like, what if they don't like that? That's a risk we always take. And if you build everything, all these tiers, everything, and then no one's there, like that's, that's hard. That's like, that's really hard. And that's going to take away from other areas of your life. So you need to focus on, again, starting small and, and growing as your audience grows over time. Then and this goes to the next point, which is iteration is more important than perfection. Like, Tori, I know you mentioned this in the chat and great to have you here. You were talking about like, it's not all about launch day anymore. And I saw Amelia's response. Like, it's it's true. Like, it isn't about launch day anymore, especially because with subscriptions explicitly, it's not about having that perfect launch, the perfect cover, the perfect tier copy. It takes time. And you just need to be good enough to get your first $5. That's how you have to think about it. Like, yes, I know you want to make $1,000 a month in your subscription, maybe $100 a month, whatever your goal is, but you're not going to be there on day one. So instead, think about how can I get my first $5? We all have to start there. We all start at nothing. So get your first $5. What do you have to do to go and do that? You probably don't have to do all the things you think you need to do. And once you get that first money in the door, that starts to provide you some security, some time, right? all the things that that gives you. So just think about that. One more page, then we'll get to the questions. So reflect first, but act diligently. I think this is just important always, but you definitely want to take the time to reflect. You know, the subscription mindset is not a doctrine. It's about building your career and what makes sense for you. So you shouldn't be just blindly following anyone or anything. You should always be taking the time to reflect first. That means too, if you see another author doing something you think is really cool, it I know the feeling you see a picture in the Facebook group and you go, wow, like that, that thing, whatever it is, I, I want to do that. And I need that now. But then you have to think like, is that really what I want right now? Is that really what's best for me? You have to slow down and take that time. Communicate early and often with your fans. This is a big one. I have a habit. It's not a habit. I like subscribe to random author subscriptions and like will check their comments, especially authors who have like a lot of engagement in their subscription because I just want to study what their fans are saying. Um, and I'll say this for some authors, like when they miss their deadline, like I see this isn't just anecdotal, like I see their readers in there. Their readers start to get pissed. And then if they're like having a bad month where it continually happens, like they start to lose trust as author. They're going literally like, I'm not going to call this author out by name because I hope she's doing okay. But like this author had several hundred people in her subscription. And I was like, actually kind of nervous for her looking at this. Like, I was like, wow, I like hope, I hope you can reprimand this situation because this is not good. The readers expected chapters at specific times because that's what she promised. They weren't coming out and they weren't getting explanation. And they explicitly said in the comments when the chapter finally came out, next time, please just let us know that it's not coming out. Like, it's okay, but like, I'm waiting for this time and then I don't get it. And then it kept happening. And then she was like giving shorter chapters than normal after that. So they were feeling cheated because they're like, wait, you're going to do that. And then she was dragging out like a baby, baby loss scene that I think happened. And apparently the readers felt like it dragged out longer. So now these readers, right? are feeling like before like they were, they're paying the author $5 a month now. And a lot of them are paying even more than that. But now they're starting to lose trust in the author. And I literally saw this in the comments. And again, I, you know, you can go look authors yourselves and see who's doing it well and who's maybe having some rough months. But it, during this rough month, the readers started to question like, is she trying to drag this out so we just pay her more? Meaning like they're, they're trying to stick around to the end of the story, right? Oh, that I felt bad because that's exactly what you don't want your readers to say. So life can come up, but do communicate early and often because the communication means a lot. Like I could just say this, like 
in in Ream, like literally, like we're like a very small operation. I'll put it that way. Um, and I'm I try and get my emails as fast as I can without affecting my mental health. Um, and there have been a few moments where like I don't have an answer for someone like, at all. But like, and that's hard because you want to figure out the problem for someone. And just like if you don't have your chapter, like I don't have it. What do I do? The worst thing you can do is not not communicate back because people are willing to be like, oh, well, at least they're thinking about me, right? Anyways, that was a little bit of a rant, but it, that's really important, like really important. With that, your true fans want to support you. I think we've talked about that one enough, but it's important. Like your fans do want to support you. Just believe that. We're going to get to that more later. Your reader kidney is an asset. We're going to talk more about this in the end uh, when we get into the sovereign author. I'll, I'll call it probably around like 420 and, and get into that little spiel. But but that's important to think about. Then um, subscription marketing relies on relationships. This one is key. This one's key. And this is where your community comes in and becomes really valuable. So this doesn't mean you have to have personal relationships with your readers. This is where I think this is read wrong. And I understand like each of these things could have a book written about it. But your readers, whether you know it or not, are developing a relationship with you. Uh, a lot of times a parasocial relationship with you and your works. This means that that relationship's probably one way. You might not have a relationship with them in return, which is normal and completely a good thing. You don't need to be friends with all your readers. You can be friends with some of your readers, but you don't need to be, trust me. But regardless of whether they tell you, whether they like your posts, whether they even, whether you even know they exist, your readers are there building a relationship with you in real time. And this is a psychological phenomenon that's been studied since the 60s in television. And it still goes on today. And what you need to know is that that relationship is what is key to getting someone to continue supporting you. But you might not see that relationship. You might not even know it exists until they show up and, oh, wow, they supported me at $25 last month. That's crazy. I didn't even, this person, I, I didn't even know they were a thing. They never even reviewed one of my books. <laughs> that will happen to you. That's because they still have a relationship with you. You just don't know it. This one's big. Uh, Long-term sustainable thinking above trend jacking. The least sexy thing we could ever say, but like the truest thing as well. Like, you know, I'm not saying finding trends, finding little hacks here and there is a bad thing. I'm not saying that. But if that's all you're relying on and there's no long-term foundation underneath what you're doing, uh, it, you're going you're gonna to be in a, a rat race for forever. And subscriptions are about trying to get away from that. And then lastly, nurture your strengths and super fans. There's people in the Facebook group, and I love them, who talk about their journeys and subscriptions, and they've done wonderful things. Some of them do live streams, book clubs. Some of them are doing conferences with readers uh, at Christopher Hopper. We love you, Chris. But maybe that's not your thing. That's okay. Connect with readers in the way that makes sense for you. Just do something. Lean into your strengths. Anyways, this is a little reflection. Let's take a deep breath. Let's take a deep breath. It's a lot. It's a real lot. I want to take a deep breath after we got all of those kind of sayings in. Those could all be like different t-shirts and mugs and things like that. And think about which three tenets of this mindset resonate with you the most. Going back to these. Which three tenets you're like, that, that rings true to me. Like hashtag that. And then which three things are you like, yeah, I don't know. That doesn't seem the best. Like, I, I get that's a thing, but that's not my thing. Just asking you to reflect because now 
we're going to open it up and get into a conversation. And this is what we want to talk about here because like the subscription mindset, it's your mindset that we're helping you with. So let's get into that now. We find, me and Amelia, that there's five common kind of blockers with the subscription mindset um, and just subscriptions in general. One, I don't know where to start. Two, my stories aren't worth that much. And I use that in italics because we all have a different idea of what that means. But that's the key word. I can't write enough or be consistent enough. I don't have any or enough readers. I don't have time for subscriptions. These are the five, five things that I hear from people a lot. And there's certainly more, but this is what we're going to focus on today. And what we're going to do now, and I'm asking for all of y'all's participations in the chat, is talk about each one of these. And here, when I say, I don't know where to start, how does that make you feel? What are your questions about that? What are the things you are struggling with? I would love to hear from you because then we could talk about it because ultimately any mindset is less about the mindset and more about what's holding us back from truly adopting it. So let's talk about that. When you think about starting something, what do you feel about that? What is making you, when it comes to subscriptions, maybe feel like you aren't able to adopt parts of these mindset, feel like you might not be ready to start your subscription? There might be good reasons to not start your subscription, but let's talk about those. So I want to hear your specific scenarios. Me and Amelia have talked on a lot of podcasts. We've done a lot of different things where we just talk. So give us what you are thinking right now. All five, sadly. Lynn, I would love to hear more um, from you on terms of uh, talk to us more about that. What about the five? While y'all are typing in the chat, I want to ask you, Amelia, like on the, I don't know where to start question, just generally, because I want to literally help you specifically, you all listening, but generally, what would you say are some of the things where you go? Um, I, I would just say that there's just a lot of different models that you can use and a lot of different, um, diff different rewards that you can offer. And I know when thinking about um, I'm branching out into different types of subscriptions right now. So audio, um, we'll take audio, for example, there's so much I could do with audio in my subscription. And I'm just like, I don't have anyone else to base it off of at the moment. And so I don't know what is going to work. I, I don't know what I should do. Um, I don't know where I should start, um, but we're going to start, we're going to make the best guess and start somewhere and see how it goes from there. Um, so that's me, but I've seen some people added into the chat. I love this. First of all, let's, uh, let's keep uh, the questions coming. Michael, great to have you here. Um, so when it comes to, I want to start with Lynn's question. So let's start with the, how to start in terms of, are you, overthinking and fear of making a mistake. That is really common. And it's something I think we all feel. Like I felt this for a second whenever I start anything. It's always like, a, is this going to be like, is this just going to blow up in my face? I think the two words that help me the most in terms of when starting something is that you don't, no one has a hundred percent batting average. So any experiment you try is not going to always work. But 
it's treating it like an experiment, right? No one goes into an experiment and hedges everything on that one experiment working. So that's one key thing. What does that mean? Probably want to start small, right? You experiment when people make products, prototype a car, prototype anything. They don't go, okay, let's test out that new design and let's print a million of them and let's see if it works. Imagine that. <laughs> They're just going to print a million of the new design and see if it works. That doesn't work like that, right? So you, likewise, you might not be printing a million books, but how do you invest your resources wisely so that if it, if it doesn't go as planned, if, it, if you do feel like you fall on your face, you can get back up and be okay. So that's why I would say start small. Some other, uh, so we have another question. This one's really good. So biggest question for me is now that I've uploaded books, what's the next step in releasing them to readers? So basically like kind of like the actually getting started point, like you've kind of set it up, but how do you officially kind of get going and get subscribers? What would be your advice on that one, Amelia? Um, I think it would definitely, again, um, like as we were, as you were saying before is start small. You have all, I'm assuming you have multiple books uploaded. Um, I would just start testing out like release schedules, um, and like figure out the platform first, um, understand how it works, um, on the back end, I don't mean like discovery or anything like that, but mostly how does it like technically work? How can you upload these chapters? How can you schedule them out for release? And once you have that figured out, um, I would personally test certain release schedules, maybe one a week, maybe one on a certain day um, and see what your readers respond to the most and how they respond to them. If it's a certain time every day, if it's randomly, um, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. No, I think that's, I think that's a really good point. We had a question. I want to like jump around them because um, the next two kind of go along on this, this question, which is I don't have any or enough readers. I, first of all, like we'll switch to this topic. So how does this resonate with you when you're thinking about the subscription mindset? What what comes up in you? What problems do you have with this question? I don't I don't have any or enough readers. Do you feel this? Do you relate to this? How do you approach this? We had a question from Kimbu who said, for me, it's finding readers. There's been a lot in the chat about how to do it, but my issue is finding what I'm comfortable with. That's a this is a great question. So you know, by the way, for review from everyone here, if you've been following the information in the group. One of the big takeaways is that there's too many ways to find readers and that you really need to be good at one or two of them. So you shouldn't do everything at once. You should pick a few ways that you want to go and try and get discovery. The biggest thing I think is in terms of thinking what you're comfortable with is taking the time to actually like list out what you're passionate about in terms of like what platforms do you usually engage on as like a viewer or a reader? What creators do you really like? What marketing has like kind of like worked on you? You know, like you need to kind of like reflect on that because you you might be marketing to a completely different audience than than you. And so they might have a totally different behavior, totally different way in which they kind of like discover things, but it's still valuable reflection. 
And I think what you need to do is kind of list out your options. Like you kind of need to see it. Like I could be doing this. I could go and do this. I could do outreach with this and kind of lay down like, okay, I, I could do, you know, maybe collaborations with authors and newsletter swaps, but maybe that's less comfortable for me because I instead am more focused on my, my content. And I want to instead really focus on how can I get discovery of the stories I write? So maybe you lean into a serial fiction platform. You could put multiple things together, but the biggest thing I found is that you should not do what other people are telling you to do, because oftentimes how another person finds their readers is not how you're going to find your readers. Not always, but a lot of the times. So that would be my, my big high advice there is just try not to try not to get pressured into doing the next cool thing because there's people finding readers everywhere. There's readers all over the place. Um, obviously, not everyone's a reader and not everyone's your reader, but you want to focus on your readers, right? Not the the next cool thing. And and kind of going off of that, a lot of like the big ways to discover like discovery right now is playing the algorithm game again. It's the algorithm mindset and it could totally work for you. I'm not saying don't try. I'm not saying um, to, to quit it if it's really successful for you. Um, but sometimes those readers who find you from a viral video or a viral post or any viral way, um, they might not be the readers who are going to be in your subscription. They are going to most likely be your casual readers at first, and maybe they'll read one book here and one book there, but they might not become a super fan of you like very quickly. It, it might take them a, a while. Um, so yeah, just adding yeah. that in. There's a lot of there's a lot of good questions here. So um one is uh on algorithms and serial fiction platforms. Um so this is where the mindset of the long term comes in. I'm gonna ask everyone a question right now. How do you first do do you wanna be a full-time author? Is that a goal of yours? Um or a dream? Some of you might not be willing to admit it's a goal because it feels a little bit too far out there, which I understand that. But would that be a dream of yours? Like if you could be a full-time author at some point in your life, would that be something that you would want to do? And the next thing is, if that is your dream, and if you already are a full-time author, then where is there somewhere that you're not at currently that you want to get to? Because one thing is just in life in general, part of the subscription mindset is like, cultivating our existing audience, being holistically happy with where we're at and not always going for more and more and more. I, that sounds weird, but like in a true sense, right? Like your membership, if you're constantly focused on garnering new members and not making your existing ones happy, like that eventually the equation will get broken, but you do need to focus on finding a new audience, especially in the beginning. So, okay. I mean, I'm getting some answers here. Yes. I want to be an author. I want to be visible. Okay, great, great. So, okay. Anna even went more specific. Anna, you're, you're part of the all-star team. So I, I, I bet you you might even know what's coming next year. How long? When is your timeline? If you have a timeline, when do you want to be a full-time author? Like, like pick a date where you're like, I would love if it could happen by then. And and make it something that maybe you've planned for. What is your what is your goal? Like, do you want to be a full-time author in 
a month. That's fast, but go for it. Like, I mean, I'm not going to, we're going to talk about that, but it's, if you feel that that's your goal, fine. Is it a year? Is it five years? Is it 10 years? What, what is your kind of timeline to being a full-time author? I'm already full-time in the amount of work I put in. There's just no way I'm to go with it. I relate to that one. Um, yeah, I understand that. And that's tough too, because I know a lot of people can burn the, and I've done this myself. You burn the candles at both ends saying, I'm going to make it this year. This is going to be my year. And you start burning the candles at both ends to try and make it happen that year. And there's all this pressure because what if it doesn't, right? What if it doesn't? I'm a full-time author already, but I want something more sustainable than sales. Totally. I would love to hear more from you um, on that one, because I think that's a really, we, a lot of the work we do in description authors is helping authors who are already successful in terms of income, make more money and figure out other ways. So tomorrow, but okay. End of 2024 is likely the practical answer. Okay. So I'm going to say something that's the three-year plans close, Anna, the three-year plans are closer to what's, what's good. So, uh, this is not something that I say, like me and Amelia are not saying this ourselves, like in the sense of this is something that like other people say too, but if you go, I'm going to give you a resource here that's free and useful. Um, it's from Joe Solari. It's called the author capital planner. If you go to his website, joesolari.com, you can find his author capital planner. It's totally free. And his idea is this takes capital to make any business work. Even if it's like $10 buying, like, I don't know one subscription to one SaaS site, like the odds of you getting out of being an author with no money, no money invested is quite low. Like you're probably gonna invest some money. And I do not think you need to invest like your whole life savings. That's definitely not what I'm suggesting at all. And if anyone tries to trick you on that, they're probably, they're probably not, they don't have your best interest in mind, but there's, is an investment in time, right? There is an investment. Like you're not going to put in 10 hours and immediately get out $200 in the beginning, right? That would be wonderful, but that doesn't work that way. There's an investment into the business. And his goal and his planner is to think on a five-year time cycle of investing out of pocket into it. That doesn't mean that you're investing thousands and thousands of dollars out of pocket each year. You could be investing a small amount each year, but ultimately like a five-year timeline to true profit is kind of what he has in his author capital planner. Five years. Now let's go back to the serial fiction algorithm point. I study YouTubers a lot. And I think there's something really interesting on YouTube because there's so many kids that I know who are like now like 25 and they've made it. And we can like look at them and be like, oh my God, they like grew up overnight. How are they full time already? They've been posting YouTube videos since 12. Like probably since 12, like they've been at it for 10 years and now they made it after so many mistakes, so many, right? So the biggest thing is like the algorithm doesn't, Every algorithm's imperfect, but thinking about algorithms, they're really designed to mimic human behavior, right? And it takes a long time for humans to build trust in you, to want to keep coming back and to recommend you to friends. And that's ultimately what your business relies on. Humans coming back to you, humans recommending you to friends, and humans hopefully supporting you. Thinking about it on a five-year timeline changes things. It does. And I think part of the long-term mindset is being willing to go at something longer than others are. But what that doesn't mean is working 40 hours a week if you're not getting paid any money for five straight years, right? That might not be the sustainable thing. It might be for you. You might be able to put that amount of time into it, but that also might not be it. So if it was going to take a long time to just learn these lessons, I think a lot of times we think we can speed run through the lessons and that putting in 80 hours a week will actually get us there 10x faster. There's somewhat of a truth to that. You should be writing more 
the best writers write more and are practicing their craft all the time. But there is a law of diminishing returns. Like once you get past a certain number of hours in a week, even if you're a full-time author, like, you know, like there's not unlimited hours. We only have so many. So you, I, I'm encouraging you all to really think on that, especially when you think about the subscription mindset. How are you going to do this for five years? I, I just want to add um, a couple of comments. I was at a conference last year and I was talking to Inez Johnson. I think it was her. And she said that she looks for just one new reader a day. If she can find one new reader a day, that is going to add up o over five years. That's a lot of readers who are tremendous in her worlds and in her books. And I was just, I thought that was so incredible, especially like putting it into like a subscription mindset. Like if you can find one new reader a week, like to join you monthly, that's amazing. If you can, even if it's just one a month like that, that's, and, and they stay with you over an extended period of time. That's great. Like there's nothing, it's okay to, to not have a bunch of readers jump in as soon as you post something, or as soon as you create your subscription, it's probably not going to happen that way. Yeah. It's also something that when it does happen, and this is like the, I call it like the great lie of publishing is that like overnight successes can exist. The One of the issues in publishing, because overnight excesses, success can exist. That's the thing. We've, we've been told that because it has happened and it does continue to happen. Like you see someone skyrocket to the top of the charts and there's the story of like, oh, well, you know, it was their, their eighth book and they've been at it for a long time. Yeah, that's true. And then, you know, that's, but that's all we think about. Like we're waiting for the breakout moment, right? The still, even if you've been in it for a long time. So it's, that still though, what is that breakout moment predicated on? So in traditional publishing, when there's like a big bestseller book, you know, they're based off of essentially a, a venture capital power law model where 98% of their authors, that's maybe eh, 98% of their authors sell about maybe 20 or 30% of the books and 2% of the authors sell 70% of the books. This is traditional publishing, but the market works the same for regular publishing. This is selling books, but We'll get there in one moment to the point. So ultimately, when a traditional publisher, what they'll do a lot of times, I talked to an author who was in this position, which I felt really bad for. They got a $100,000 advance from a publisher. And a lot of times the big four now, or is it, it's still big four. It'll probably be, be big three eventually, knowing how they, they go. But uh, they'll they'll pick a genre they want to go after in a year um, that has you know good sales, there's a market for it. And they'll take 10 new authors. And before the books are even released, they kill eight of them. They've like gotten their advances, but they basically decide we're never going to put the investment into being able to pay out that advance. Like they're, they're just going to, that author will basically, basically done for them. That that's, it sounds bad. They can come back from that, but it's really hard when you don't have your first advance payout to keep going. So they'll take two of those authors out of eight that they've already put a hundred thousand dollars into each and put all the marketing budget into just two. And then the goal is for one to work out and one to be one of their stable authors that generates them profit in the long run. That one author will probably feel like an overnight success because <laughs> they have so much money put behind them. But what happens in that situation? The publisher controls you, not in a bad way. Like publishers can be great, but like they have the leverage, right? What happens when there's an overnight success on you name it platform? They drive your discovery through X algorithm. They feed you new fans, but they keep all the data. They keep a good bit of the profit. And a lot of times you have to pay them money for that discovery. Frankly, if it's Facebook or Amazon, you're paying them for that discovery half the time. What does that mean? 
ultimately this sort of like, let's get big fast is predicated on someone having leverage over us to do that almost always, almost always. That's not a bad thing, but know what you're getting into with the mindset of I'm going to blow up in a year, like slow growth, slow growth is something that it's not the only way you don't have to do that. You, you can go to the, get the publishing contract, go and use that platform, but know what you're doing, right? They have leverage in that situation and not in a bad way. They're giving you so much, but subscriptions, right? The subscription mindset is about direct selling. They all exist in the same world. Here's like the tough thing. Like I'm not saying abandon the platform. So what I am saying is understand that what I, I'll call the sovereign author mindset, which I uh, borrowing a term from uh, Jay Klaus who coined the sovereign creator mindset is how can you use these platforms to ultimately build your own home where you don't have to depend on them at the end of the day. But here's the key thing, even on these platforms, the breakouts are one in 1000, right? Which leaves everyone, you know, in this position where you're not breaking out and the publishers, the breakouts are one in 1000, leaves everyone in a position where you're not breaking out. The subscription mindset basically is how can you take control of your career where you can keep by default growing and be default alive, regardless of whether a breakout happens or not, because it's very tough to manufacture a breakout. If it was possible, I feel like, you know, there would be people who've actually figured it out reliably. No one has. I mean, even Colleen Hoover, I don't think figured it out. I think she got, I think she creates awesome books for a big audience, but like there was a lot of right factors there. So that's a big thing, I think, because so many times we like admire the bestsellers and we want to become one of them, but we have to think about like what goes into a breakout. There's a lot in it. I write in multiple subgenres, real issues only. That's an interesting one, Linda, about concentrating on one subgenre series and book at a time. Because like, the, the, my question would be, is there like overlap between your readers, right? Like ultimately you want to be giving your readers consistent content, but are your readers completely different who read both subgenres? Or would people in your subscription, in your membership, maybe want to read from both? Are there things that tie both your subgenres together? Most are completely different. I understand. Hmm. Okay. We have a lot of questions. This is good. Keep the questions coming. Um, that's not, I think, First of all, most authors who make it are like probably the average age is like 50, I would say. Um, me and Amelia are young, yes, but the average author is not nearly close to our age. I I think I'm the youngest at every writer's conference I go to, and Amelia's close to the same. Um, you have to be thinking long-term in anything you do, just period. Like, like for you, long-term might be a little bit different, but if you're if you feel like you're running out of time, I don't think that that's a little... It's a little too negative of thinking about it. Like you, you have time. Like even if you're, even if you're like you know, a hundred years old listening to this, which that would be really cool if you're listening to this at a hundred years old. Like you still are here in the moment, able to build a sustainable life. Like in fact, like I would argue that like I don't have any children. I don't have a spouse. Like like when you get older, you have more responsibility and more of your life to tend to, which makes it harder to go all in in the mindset that I see so many authors pressure to do. 
right? So if anything, you need a, a, a more sustainable way to approach publishing even more than I do. I can spend late nights until 4 a.m., wake up at 8 a.m. and kind of feel fine. I won't be able to do that forever. Talking to people who are a bit older than me, at some point you, your body goes, hey, I got to take care of myself. And you do need to, I need to as well. So my big thing would be like, age is, means nothing in stories, but you do, you can't be tricked into thinking no matter how old you are, that it, you have to make it happen in a year. I, I think that's the thing. I'm not saying it has to take 20 years. That's a long time, but like five years, give yourself five years to make it, whatever that means from you. Yeah, I, I agree. You like it, the age doesn't exactly come. And also like, as well, another harsh truth is that like for us authors, like how, like th this is true about, it, let's talk about this right now. So, because mindset's hard. Like these are hard questions and keep asking us the hard questions because this is a hard topic. But like outside of like the generational authors, like the one in one million, like Stephen King, I'll use him as an example. He's built a brand that will last forever, like forever. But most authors do drop off. You see this now, even based off the authors who had great brands five or six years ago. They still sell, but it's different. They're not selling the same, a lot of them. This isn't supposed to scare you into thinking that, like, you know, you can't make it and have a 40 year career as an author. You can, you definitely can. But there's churn at the top of the charts, right? Meaning the top 20% of the store, whatever store you're on, is probably not all of them are going to stay at the top 20% in the next five years. Chris Fox has done a lot of work on this in his right to market stuff, talking about reader behavior. A lot of times readers churn out of the market every three to five years, where the genres they read change every three to five years. Um, I know this about my own self. My viewing habits change. I'll go back to old things over time, but my viewing habits change. What does that mean for you? That means that building one, a system as an author where you can have a direct connection to your audience, not dependent on platforms and whims of systems and having that direct connection to your audience is really essential because these systems are predicated on churn, on top losing ground to new people. That's also how they maintain power, right? Because if you if you have people constantly competing for the top, it, it makes that people don't work together. Um, but another big thing is that you, even for me and Amelia, like if let's say our run is 10 or 20 years, there's a, almost a 0.01% that we'd stay at the top of the charts for the next 50 years. Like whoever it is, maybe you still make a living at it, right? You're still doing it, but you're not going to be at the top of your game forever. I mean, you don't see this in music. You don't see this in acting. You don't see this in anything. Like, you don't see this in companies. What company makes it 50 years? Amazon's been around for 25 and they're already kind of peaking in the book place. The Kindle sales peaked in 2012. No one makes it forever. And a lifetime even is what I'm suggesting. Like you got to ride for about a generation and we all have some time left in us to make it and to do it. But yeah, thinking that like once you're there, it happens forever is also like another harsh reality of I think the subscription mindset of knowing that like we have to build a long-term system that's sustainable because we're not going to be there forever. And the guy that we were just talking to, Joe Paluzzi, who's been in this space for such a long time, was talking about the essential thing of when creators do make it to start building systems not connected to their brand or creator-owned IP so that they can own assets in their business that aren't directly tied to them so that they can have an exit opportunity, the ability to still make money for their family and still survive if they decide one day, I don't want to do this. If they the market changes. We're still so early in publishing that we haven't even seen a full cycle of this yet. We're just starting to see 
a cycle of this happening. And that's why the creator economy is a thing. People are building their own businesses. Creators are starting burger chains. Creators are starting makeup lines, all these sorts of things. Amelia is working on this right now as we speak. So I, I know this is rant, but it, another thing as well about the subscription mindset is we would be like, you're going to have people make it. You're going to have some people who don't and some people who do later and some people who might have different definitions of what making it means. This is really key. Like to you, success might look different than someone else. And in subscriptions, that doesn't have to mean the top of the store. Literally not everyone could be at the top of the store. Not everyone could be a top New York Times bestseller. Like that's literally impossible. If I was to tell you all that you will have your top, your shot at number one in the Amazon store, there are more books in existence to basically fill up. If you only had one minute at the top of the Amazon store and then everyone traded, a new author got their shot for one minute. There was still too many books. <laughs> that doesn't mean though, like I, that, I, that doesn't mean though that you can't be successful, but that means that we have to define what success means for ourselves. And that's the big part of subscriptions, thinking about your life holistically. Your life is more than just publishing, right? Your life is about your life is about the process and the craft that got you to do this in the first place before you had readers. It's about your existing readers. It's about your family. It's about all these things. And when you think about it holistically, what success looks like to you might be different than success to someone else. You should define that. You should write it down. You should reflect on it as it evolves and changes. And I do believe that everyone can achieve their definition of what success means for their life. But right now we're caught up in a kind of version of success where a lot of us still define the only way is being successful as being at the top of the charts. And that's a version of success that is kind of literally mathematically not possible for everyone to achieve. And part of subscriptions is reclaiming that definition of what success means to you. And success might look different at different stages of your life as well. So I just want to, I think it's an important conversation. I gave up trying to write books at all for almost 20 years because of doubt and lack of self-confidence. I took a risk and published part of a story. I mean, one thing I'll say too, just like, just because like, I know me and Amelia are young, like y'all have way more stories to write than me and Amelia. Like you all have life that you've lived. And like, that means something like literally like shading us for a second. Like I know, like when I started writing, like I've always loved writing, but when I started writing my first book at 13, that thing was horrible. Like, and I'm not saying that because it was my first book. I'm saying that because like, I didn't have the insight about life that I do today. And I'm going to have so much more insight in 30 years. And the world needs your stories. Like if the world's dominated by, like, think about this, the music industry, who gets up on stage, super ageist industry, acting, pretty ageist industry. Um, I could go through all the entertainment industries that dominate culture. Most of them are pretty ageist for the most part. I think that's changing a little bit. The creator Connie gives more people a voice. That's beautiful. But publishing has never been quite, quite as ageist as other ones. I'm not saying it's perfect. It's not, it's definitely not. But what that means though is like, the world needs your stories more than ever, more than ever. We need stories from people from all different backgrounds. So it, don't let wherever you're at in your life, wherever you've lived, whatever your background is, stop you. Because like the world needs your stories. People need your insight. And like, I, that's just something I believe. And if we think about serving our readers, even if we're not making a full-time living, we're making an impact in the world. Even if we do it for a couple of years before we start to get to our goal of success, maybe that number goal Maybe that financial goal, that security goal in writing takes some time, but you can begin serving readers who haven't felt heard on day one. I think that's pretty beautiful. And I want to remind you all of that, that you can do something that me and Amelia could never dream of. And the world needs what you're doing, just like the world needs younger voices too. But if anything, you know, the world needs you all 
even more because you are underrepresented. Yes, I, I agree, Jody. I think that's a great point. Um, so yes, keep keep the questions coming. Um, paranormal rants, rom com. Based on what Michael said, maybe I need to find what's the same. So Linda, you don't need to. So I, it's interesting. Like I talk to so many authors. Like if you've been doing this for like ten years, I feel like almost everyone I talk to has multiple pen names. And that's a beautiful thing. Like it's great to express yourself in different ways. It's it's great to start something new. Um, I think that. One solution is just to start multiple subscriptions and keep the expectations manageable for both. Like we said, like value is like water. You know, you need to be giving your readers something, but that something doesn't need to be a thing. And if a chapter a month is all you can do, a chapter every other month, that's okay. Your, re your readers who do want to support you will be along for that journey. So you can definitely do multiple subscriptions for different genres or start small with just one. Do the genre that you think will do best that you have maybe a closer relationship to and start there. Pen names are a lot of work. Bob Jeldoff of publishing. I don't know if I know Bob Jeldoff, but I'm not, I don't, that's probably like, I'm sorry. I, I probably should know who that is. I didn't realize I could do multiples. You can, you can, you definitely can. If you're talking about Unream, you can. And also on other subscription platforms, you can just create another account, right? So no one's stopping you from that. Um, uh, <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, I'm just saying, like, I don't know. I don't even watch much. Don't, don't judge me based off of like my cultural knowledge, uh, and and think that like I'm you're old because of that. I, I just don't know things. Uh, that's the truth. Um, I think, I think we need to go to. No, back, back. My stories aren't worth that much. Us not believing in ourselves. <clears throat> this is hard. This is hard because I feel like I feel like the subscription mindset, like you have to put yourself out there in publishing already. But like what the toughest part is believing in yourself when like I this sounds hard, but I know this because I've faced this feeling. I've looked at myself in the mirror and felt like I have no reason to believe myself. Like, why should I? And why I felt like I had no reason to believe myself is because I had no external validation. There, there was nothing telling me that I was good at this. So what delusion should make me think that I'm good at this? We all have to start there, right? Because before, I mean, there's always that point. Let me just say that I, I get where you're coming from with any sort of feeling of not feeling good enough. And that sort of chicken and egg problem of like, well, I literally like, you could tell me I'm a great writer, but like, you haven't read my work. No one's really read my work yet. I haven't gotten it out there. So how would I know that? And I do want to be a great writer because we care about that. This mindset I care about a lot because I got caught up in this trap and at a very young age decided like a lot of my self-worth was like going to be put into my value as a writer. And I thought that like me writing good books like meant that I was a good human, essentially. That's oversimplifying it, but it felt like that. And all I can say is when you tie your self-worth to views, when you tie your self-worth to money, when you tie the worth of your books to the sales that you generate, there is nothing that will kill the passion for it faster. And if we're thinking long-term over five years, 
this is an industry that like is not a science. Like no one, no one has an objective indicator of what good books mean. And people say that, and it's like fun talk, Michael, thanks for the motivation. But like, I actually like, I do feel like there's something, but there, there really isn't like, like if someone knew how to make a great book, I promise you Disney would have figured it out by now. Disney would take over the entire world or Facebook would have done it themselves. Like, like no one knows, right? Like no, no one knows. And I think the biggest trap, the biggest trap, and I've had this myself, is then getting caught in the cycle where you will do anything to try and get that validation. Because that's what you want. You want to feel worthy enough. You want to feel good enough at your core. So then you start to put so much pressure on yourself. You look at the graph earlier, do, do, do this area. And you, you just toss this away. You're like, I just want to feel like I am good at this. And you start thinking about all these things. I, I think it's really hard though. It's, I agree with you, but it's very hard because sometimes when you're writing, like your, your stories that you re- write for, to release, like they have characters who like you get really close to, I've been thinking about this a lot. Like you get really close to, like they be like, they could, they're fictional, but they could become like someone who you love and someone who you care about. And they like, don't know you at all. They're like this fictional being that you created, but like, it's like your books are coming from your mind and your, if you believe in your soul, your soul too. And yeah. It's really hard to separate those out. It, it's actually, I think, impossible. Um, like neurologically, when you have something like a story that's so close to you, your brain starts to associate it like you would with a baby, literally. You start to think about it in that way, and it starts to like fire similar neurochemical pathways to having a kid and taking care of your kid. <laughs> that's crazy. That's crazy. It's impossible to completely avoid. But I think part of the subscription mindset is understanding that if anything, it's more an ideal than a reality. It's an ideal to be consistent. It's an ideal to underpromise and overdeliver. It's an ideal. No one, period, ever meets that. And I think part of that is trying to live up to the ideal, but understanding and giving ourselves the break when it's like, allow yourself to feel angry, allow yourself to feel down. Like, like if a reader gives you a bad review and you start to feel like the world's falling apart, like that's normal. Like, just like if your kid got made fun of or bullied in school, I'm sure you'd be ready to fight. Like, you know, you, you, you're not, hopefully not literally, you know, if it's just an eight-year-old kid, you don't want to teach the eight-year-old kid a lesson, but, but like the same thing, right? Like if your kid got bullied, would you be pissed off? Like, would you feel like personally attacked? You would, you, you should feel the same way about your books. It means you care about them. But your books are not like part of this equation, like your wellness, your own process and your craft, your loved ones, your books aren't everything. And I think that it's, what's important is like, if the books are making you feel like you're kind of sucking more passion from you than you can put in, you might need to lean into other areas of your life for a little bit. That doesn't mean quitting, writing, nothing. I'm saying go for a walk watch a movie with a loved one. I don't know if enough of us do this and are fully present in these other moments. I know I haven't. I know I make this mistake. I know, like, even when I'm, like, watching, even when I'm I'm 
hanging out with my husband, Sean, I'm just like, my mind's constantly running and I'm just like, oh, well, what if this happened in this story? And it's really hard to separate those moments and like actually be present in them. But it, it's very important. Yeah, no, especially. My lab just hears Michael say walk and he said, oh, that's so cute. Um, I'm so sorry. I made your dog though. That, that's sorry. I know what it's like when you say walk near a dog, like, you know, um, my, my, my door is closed purposely. So I can say the word walk and my dog won't freak out. Cause she's like, Hey, he's not talking to me. Um, but I, I really, cause we, we have a few more minutes here and I want to like, we're talking about ultimately mental health at the end of the day, mindset and mental health go hand in hand mindset and your life go hand in hand. And this industry is like, it's really hard on our mental health. Like, like it really is. So I want to hear your thoughts on that, your struggles if people are willing to open up because this is the dark side of it that we don't always talk about, right? It's, it's fun to talk about tactics. It's fun to talk about strategies and all that's important. But like what happens like at the end of the day when like, you know, it's late at night and we're scared because we don't know if it's going to work or we're sad because we had this expectation of ourselves that, you know, wasn't reached and it it feels like our fault when it might not be it's it's hard one thing is that i think what's especially hard about indie authors is we can put it all on ourselves so like in traditional publishing it was just like oh well the agent didn't want it you know screw on they don't get it and and that, that that's like fair like i'm with you that's not a bad mindset uh but the fallacy sometimes of the indie author world is believing that the gatekeepers are completely gone. It's a little bit of a hot topic, but the gatekeepers still exist. They've just changed and they've democratized access in a different kind of way. Um, and I think led to a new class of authors to rise and will continue to do so. But there are new kinds of gatekeepers that matter. And those gatekeepers might not even be actual people. Like an algorithm is a form of a gatekeeper in a sense, right? You have to basically tell an algorithm, my story is engaging enough and give it enough, feed it enough of a specific signal so that it shows it to more people. And if you don't do that, it won't show you to more people, period. That's it. Sorry. It's not a human gatekeeper, but it's still a gatekeeper, right? And I think the important thing to note is that none of these gatekeepers, they're all abstractions of human behavior. They don't actually replicate the market or replicate or dictate what's good or not. And I think it's important to remember that like over the long run, when anything depends on something saying yes, a reader saying yes, and it taking time, you do have to be willing to just stick out it a little bit longer than feel sometimes comfortable. Being able to be like, you know what? I'm going to go with the mindset that it's going to take some time to really get this to work. That's like the big takeaway at the end of the day. Not that any of us actually believe it. Like <laughs> in a given moment, it's hard to actually feel that. The challenge to maintain self-confidence. Therapy is great. Hobbies you enjoy is awesome. And I think as well, you know, one of the big things that I see is when, when you get focused on a specific readership and a specific mission and your core reason why, it can center a lot of the activities that you do. Because I'd rather you learn and iterate and get better faster so that ideally it Ideally, you can get to where you want to go sooner than you would otherwise. Like, there's no rule that you have to put 10,000 hours in and that then that's when it happens. Like, yeah, 10,000 hours is great, but not every hour is created equal. And I think part of the subscription mindset is 
figuring out and taking the time to reflect on what works for you and starting small so that you can test, iterate, and learn quickly. Because if you're not learning, so many times I hear, and this is my biggest pet peeve about authors, and I've done this myself, but I'm out of this mindset now. This is one I've totally knocked out, which is feeling, not thinking about why something isn't working and not really diving down into like the why behind it and trying to take something away from it. We can feel defeated and so negative in a moment that we don't take the time to reflect on, well, what does this mean for the future? Do we just try the same thing again? Or are we going to like have a different strategy? Because that different strategy might be better or a different way of approaching it. And a lot of times what we have to focus on, because so much of this industry and so much of the world are things that we can't control, is what can you control to try and learn and try and take a step forward? It doesn't mean that you're going to be able to dictate the outcome. But how can you focus on the process and learn more about that process? And it's really hard to do, but we have to do that. We have to do that. So that's a big part of subscriptions, right? Because when you're not so focused on the launch, and a launch is always focused on the outcome, you don't launch something and think, yeah, it would be great if this launch panned out a year from now. That'd be awesome. Like a year after I launch, how magically it'll explode. Like when you launch something, you want to make it happen now. And there's nothing wrong with launching. Launching is a part of this whole ecosystem. But subscriptions are saying, wait, the launch barely even matters. Let's focus on the first reader and the next reader and the next one, one at a time. That mindset's quite different. And it's not a silver bullet. Nothing is, but I think it could be useful. I know it helps me personally a lot in all different areas of my life because I used to struggle with this so mightily. So I hope it, I hope it can help y'all um, because I just, I think we both know how hard this industry is, no matter whether you are a full-time author or not. Um, let me read this from you, Christina. My husband has been incredibly supportive. It's helped me let this year be about finding my writing more. So part of that has been spending money on classes, the Tony Book Conference and other marketing things soon. I think I'll probably let my show novel go too long. Once it's done, I don't have money coming in yet. I'm terrified of not having a guarantee that I will make anything from subscription, even a self-published book. Yeah, well, that that is a the financial piece of it, like your security, it's important. I mean, that, and that's something too, that's like, like I said earlier, like there is an investment that for different people looks different in terms of time, capital, other resources, but you have to put something into the business, even if it's just sweat equity, you have to put something into it. You know, if you could just press a button, pop out a book, pop out a career, like, you know, it doesn't work like that. We all know that, of course. But, you know, the big thing I would say is when you're investing, like, on a, on a five or 10 year time cycle, rather than a one year time cycle, it makes your process a bit different because you can ask yourself always, do I need this right now? And is this something that I can do right now? Because if it's going to mess up your future, your loved ones, your process and your craft and your wellness, then maybe it's not worth it. Maybe it's not worth it because part of the subscription mindset is knowing that this is a long-term battle and a long-term game that has to be sustainable from the beginning. If it's ever not sustainable, that's not what subscriptions are about. It's about continually being able to, and that doesn't mean it's going to be sustainable every moment. We all reach moments, myself included, where we're like, oh my God, like, we need to reevaluate things, but we have to try to approach it like that. Because if we, if we go in the mindset of like, I have to make this happen now, 
We have to rush in. It's Becca Science Gold Rush mindset. She was on our podcast, but like her mindset about this is perfect. Like you don't have to do that anymore. You're not the world opportunity, like subscriptions, like this isn't going to go anywhere in a good way. Like your subscription can be successful in a year, in five years, in five months. The market for subscriptions doesn't disappear. This psychology of readers wanting to support you ain't changing. This isn't like this grand new market where if you don't rush in right now, you're going to miss out on the opportunity. I don't believe that. I firmly don't believe that. And I think that's the biggest thing to note that, yes, this is becoming more possible. The gold rush, as Becca Syme calls it, I'm using quotes because there was no literal gold. That would have been fun. Um, but the rush is over. We're in a new age and it's an age that you can approach. And hopefully you can follow your own rules. And I think that's the biggest part of being a sovereign author. It's that you have your own little island, your own little community that interacts and trades and is part of a whole global ecosystem. But it's important to have your own rules that you're not going to follow perfectly. You break your own laws sometimes. That happens. And you know, don't put yourself in jail for breaking your own sovereign author rules. That would be a little dramatic. But, but you should hold yourself accountable to, to that and hold accountable to your principles and knowing that sometimes your ideal mindset will be broken, but you're going to return back to it. I think that's the big thing. I've kept myself from rushing in out of panic. Oh, well, for sure. As you keep growing, you can assess how long things say. Yep. Yep. Totally. I agree with that completely, Jody. Um, the, the panic's hard because like, um, I feel like, I feel like the world so often just broadly like tries to drive us into panic, you know, like this news headline, this thing, like there's always something to worry about. And I think it's always important to, you know, come back to your place of peace that you're not feeling panicked in whatever you're doing. There are moments where things do go wrong in any area of your life and you need to tend to those, but living in a state of panic is not a real way to, I think, truly be a subscription author or have that membership mindset. Um, in the last few minutes here, I would love to hear anything from anyone else. I would love feedback on this. You know, me and Amelia, we did one podcast a couple months ago where we talked about like our own mental health struggles and processes, and you all seem to like it. We got good feedback. Um, so this, this is just a conversation at the end of the day. So I would love your feedback on this because like we don't have silver bullet answers on this. I wish we did, but we don't, but we want to at least talk about it because I think the worst thing that happens is when we don't talk about the hard things and we talk about the pretty tier images and the pricing and all these things that are important. And we promise we talk about those, but we do have to talk about these other things because uh, we've been through it. Like we've, we've been there. And regardless of what age stage of life or where you're from, we all connect to this common experience of being authors. And if I can end off in the final five minutes, anything I want to talk about, you know, this is something that I, I might be working on potentially a book on this because I, I just, I reflect a lot and I end up reflecting and then it turns into a chapter and I'm like, well, I should just release this chapter as a book. Um, so this is what I do. Cause I think very deeply on these subjects and I feel like the mindset is a topic of this that um, I, I'm scared, honestly, because I no one's an expert in mindset and I'm certainly not. It's much easier to kind of give you tactics that work for people and be like, well, this worked for other people. Maybe this works for you. And like, 
And like, that's, that's like really important, like really valuable stuff. Um, and I'm really glad we can do that. But this other thing is really important too. And is really, I think maybe even more important, but it's not anything that I like know for sure. But one thing I want to posit with you guys is this sovereign author framework. I'm using this in quotes because like, heck, I don't know. But I remember when I wanted to be an indie author, what initially drew me to it over anything else was the freedom. One word, freedom. And not in like a, you know, like, uh, I don't want to be bound by any rules. It's my world type of thing. But like, like in the true sense of like, these are my stories at the end of the day. This is my life. And I want to be able to like live it the way I want. It was really appealing to be able to work remotely, really appealing to have my own hours, just like from a day-to-day life thing. Really appealing to be able to write what I wanted. No one's going to be able to tell me what I'm doing in my next chapter. That's quite beautiful. But then I thought about it and I'm like, how independent are we as authors? Truly independent. Like maybe some of these things are true for some of us, but how independent do we feel? Open question. I'm wondering about that term and wondering if there's a part missing in this ecosystem that we really need to become independent. And I definitely think the answer is yes. I think especially in an age of AI as well, where things are changing and change is not bad, but change is happening. And it made me think about this kind of new way of thinking about our writing career and a new way of thinking about what we do as authors. And it really goes back to the subscription mindset, but the new term is basically sovereign author. And to just leave you all with some takeaways here, being a sovereign author does not mean you go at it alone. No, it means you work with platforms, it means you work with people, it means you work with fellow authors and readers. Outside of maybe, not even, there is no nation on this world that doesn't trade with other nations. No nation in this world. But also, to really truly be able to express yourselves and truly be able to carve out rules that, again, you can't have full freedom, right? No nation has full freedom. <laughs> you know, like we all have to work together. And that's a good thing. But for, for generations, different people with different identities have fought for their own sovereignty. It's a fight that will continue to go on. But in this digital age where people with different shared passions and interests are coming together, led by you, led by storytellers, what does sovereignty look like for a group of people online? What does sovereignty look like for a creator? I, I implore you to seriously consider that question for yourself. And what would being sovereign mean like for you? What would that do for your business? What would that do for your storytelling in your life? And one key component of being sovereign is not being dependent or ruled by another nation. Just the definition of it, right? And the UN actually has a framework that they consider a sovereign nation. It's kind of cool. Um, but we won't need to go into what the United Nations considers because that's not our framework. For authors, I'll consider a sovereign author these four things. Someone who makes an amount of income that they could feasibly live off of, um, off of basically platforms that they don't own a direct selling relationship to. A direct selling relationship would be someone where you get their email and have at least a good degree of control over the reader buying experience. No one has full control over any experience because there's the laws of physics and the laws of codes we have to abide by, like literal software code. So it's impossible to make anything happen, but you can make a lot of things happen. The second part of being a sovereign author is being able to define what success looks like for you. You know, one of the shames about our own world is that everything optimizes for the GDP. 
you don't have to optimize for your own GDP. You can optimize for something else. It doesn't mean that economic security isn't, isn't important, but past a certain point, you know, we can all be Colleen Hoover, but do we, we don't, is that really what you want? Um, I love you, Colleen. I'm just picking on you because you're the best-selling author on the planet right now. Uh, I, she's awesome, but, but that's just the point. Third point of being a sovereign author is having the ability to dictate what timeline pricing and sustainability looks like for you, not to feel beholden to someone else's timeline. That doesn't mean you don't have a timeline. It doesn't mean you don't have a schedule, but things can change if they need to. And the fourth component of being a sovereign author is outside of these business mechanics, this mindset, this subscription author mindset, and being able to really, truly at your core, be able to create a community for your readers where they can also feel that sense of belonging, where they also feel like I can be myself. It's not just about you. It's also about your readers, about your members. That's a sovereign author mindset. Um, I would be curious if it resonates with you. Uh, this was uh, this fireside chat, everyone. Um, Yeah. Yeah. This was great, everyone. I hope everyone has a great day. Um, this was fun. Thank you, everyone. The recording should stop now, stop sharing, and we'll, we'll get this recording out soon. Thank you all for being here. I'm do do. Okay, bye. <laughs>